Happy Friday, guys. Oh, wait, it's Saturday. Happy Saturday, guys. That's right. You thought I forgot about you this week, but I most certainly didn't. Your boy Bill T with Let's Talk Dubs coming at you with a podcast for the week. So don't worry. That long drive to Prado or that long drive home, you get to listen to my silky smooth voice as you enjoy your time getting ready to go check out the show over there. As for me, I may or may not head to Prado. Uh, still a coin toss at this point. Uh, I may I may just bomb down there in the big Dodge Ram or I may tow the rag chop with me. Who knows? It's yet to be determined. So uh, we'll see We'll see what happens. If you see me at Prado tomorrow, come by, say what's up. I'll be handing out a bunch of stickers. And uh, I, may, I may drag the Let's Talk Dubs easy up down there. I may, I may not. Who knows? Like I said, everything's up in the air. Uh, been busy this week, so that's the reason for the delay on the podcast, just grinding it out at work and uh, wanted to sit down and put the podcast out. This is podcast number two that we did at Bugarama 85 in Sacramento over Memorial Day weekend. So this was the podcast that we put together when we were live in Sacramento. Joey Giordano with Workstat Restorations, he was on the uh, podcast with us. We got a chance to sit down, hammer it out for about an hour. Cool cat. He's up to a lot of good stuff, really committed to doing uh, some high-quality work over there and really is in it for the love of the hobby. He's got a pretty cool background. Once you guys get a listen to what he's got going on, if you guys happen to see him, if he happens to be a Prado, say what's up. Tell him you heard him on Let's Talk Dubs. Hey everybody, on today's show, uh, we're recording again with our Bugarama series. We came up here in Sacramento to the show, and I was able to sit down face-to-face the Let's Talk Dubs poker table today. On the mic with us out of Herald, California, I got Joey Giordano with Workstat Restorations. Joey, welcome to the show. Thanks, thanks, man. It's been a long time trying to put this together, as you know. Uh, yeah. We tried to do this a couple of years ago, but then all the COVID craziness hit, so it's uh, glad to finally meet you and, and do this. Yeah, and so uh, you, what you guys might be hearing in the background that may be a little bit off-putting every now and again is there's some drag racing going on right now, so we'll try to keep the gains tight, but I think it's nice that you guys can get that vibe of just two guys having a conversation at a car show, so... Um, Make one small adjustment, just bring that in towards you a little bit. Perfect. Got it. Go. Better? That, yeah, much better. So um, so the way we start the podcast every time is we start out with what's your VW story and how did you get into Volkswagens? Yeah, that's a, it's, it's, it's a very interesting one. Actually, my VW story started with my oldest sister. She had a boyfriend and uh, my dad bought him a car, a 56 Oval Window. Um, sat on our side yard for years. And I would go sit in that car, took a little 12-volt battery in there. He had a Nissan hard body radio that he took out of it. It was an old Clarion. Hooked that puppy up, one speaker. I would sit in that that car and just dream of driving it. Well, he never paid my dad. So the car got defaulted to me. That was my first car. I spent all my teen years working temp agencies and stuff to get that car built. I sanded that car, stripped it with good old strippies, getting the chemical burns and everything. And, yeah. and the rest is history. I mean, it just created this passion that So your stuck. first car was a 56 Oval? 56 Oval. So that's pretty rare because a lot of people that I have on the podcast, they're usually their first car. A lot of guys is like a 73, 75 or, you know, like a late model. And then they kind of get, they dip their toe in the scene and then they got to track down a cool car. Like, oh man, I didn't know I had one that was uncool until then. So kicking it off with a 56 Oval is a pretty big deal. So 
was this car, did you do it? Was it lowered, custom, all that kind of stuff? Yeah, and a lot of the parts, actually, they they were sourced here from Buggerama. So um, the car started out with a, um, it was it was a hardtop car, had all the original parts on it. Um, and it was still, you know, it was, a, it was a decent builder. Not as much rust as we're, you know, that we're seeing now, but uh, it didn't need any rust repair. It was really easy to, to build for my caliber of what I did. I was you know, 14, 15 years old, yeah. got into that thing, man. I, that was the first time I ran a wire harness and did all those types of things. So the, the car, it created a passion for me for round window cars. And then my next car was a 63 ragtop. Once I had a ragtop yeah. car, it was like, I, 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 once the best combination was an oval rag. And that's, that's what I, that was my first VW that I bought once I got back into the scene. So I took a little break having kids and doing all that stuff. It just didn't fit in the, the budget for a bit. Yeah. Yeah. We had a, you know, one of my first cars was a 63 rag top. I posted it before on my podcast that I'm trying to find this car and all I need to get to the VIN number, but the rag top, it's so funny because we're about the same age. How old are you? I'm 46. Okay. So you're, you're just a pup. I'm 48. I'm going to turn 49 next weekend. And, uh, but, you know, in our generation, it was like, it, what was crazy back then is, you know, a, a 65, 65 and newer was like the commonplace, but then rag tops were like super rare. And then oval windows seemed like even more rare. And it's interesting that nowadays all those cars are like, oh, yeah, it's just an oval window or rag top. Now it's like split windows and coach boats and all that stuff. But, you know, I think as the hobbies progressed, people have just been digging for older, older and older stuff. But I still love the classic look of a pre-64, you know, small window cloth sunroof car just to me has like some of the best lines on it absolutely and then you add the the little character details like the ice pick handles the you know the uh the clover tail lights and stuff like that i mean that's all the jewelry that makes those cars what they are and if you really know the cars then you know what what you're looking at and that's what makes the difference in a lot yeah of well and you're kind of lucky because you got you grew up here i mean you grew up not far from sacramento and here in southern or here in northern california I mean, up here, you, there's like cars and fields, and there's so much, so much Volkswagen stuff hidden all about. Plus, you guys have Buggerama and all this stuff. So, this was kind of, but you lived outside of Sacramento, so not super close to the big city, but still in the custom car scene vibe. Yeah, I actually, when I first got involved with Volkswagens, I remember buying it. It was a the, the oval window. I bought it in Stockton, actually, of all places. Yeah. And so it was, and we lived in Stockton. So it was an interesting dynamic there. But this car, I remember it was in the mid nineties. Yeah. It was $3,000. That was a lot of money back then That's for an dollars. oval window car. So it was a still pretty desirable car. And I just remember that amount of money was, it, just, it, it was unexplainable to me because it was, you know, so long ago. Now you, you're lucky to find anything in, you know, anywhere close to that. But. It, and, you know, cars, I, I remember my first bug I bought was a 62 and I paid $200 for it. And, and it was like, I could buy a lowered bug that, and it made me cool. It was like pulled torsion leaves and it was just slammed on, <laughs> on smoothies with Porsche nipples. And it was like, that's the look, right? But now as, you know, we, we start off in our VW evolution and then go into the second cars that we have. And then I think we, it's interesting because there's two parts to our story, right? There's the pre-marriage and kids and then post-marriage and kids. So I know that I got out of it when I, when I, you know, I kind of sold cars, I got burnt down on Volkswagen. I think we all go through it every now and again. When do you decide, cause you get, you get 
wife, kids, all the stuff, career, you start focusing on work. And, and you worked in the automotive industry for a few years, right? Yeah, for 26 years with Toyota and Lexus. So you worked for Toyota and Lexus. So you, you have that. And, and that makes it a little tougher sometimes, like working on cars all the time at work and then coming home and seeing cars kind of makes it like, ah, uh, you know, it's like I need a break, right? Uh, not really with me. I, yeah. I've had this. I, I've, I was built with a mechanical mentality and cars have always been my thing. Had restoration been a lucrative career in the 90s where you could support a family, I probably would have went that direction. Except I, instead, I had to go with a dealership style job so that I could support my family and the lifestyle that we wanted to. But as far as the pre-wife, post-wife uh, lifestyle, me and my wife got together. I was 16 years old. Oh, yeah. I gave her 50 bucks to buy our first car. She never paid me back. And Whoa. I still, and so we, I don't hold grudges, but we still, it's a lot of interest. We remind her once in a while, <laughs> compounded daily. And so we, ha- we've had a, a strand of VW stuff, but for a while there, we had our kids and, and different things. Of course, you know, I couldn't do the bus thing. We ended up getting into quads, Going yeah. camping, dunes, making Sand memories, dunes, all that stuff. Dune, yeah. and doing that kind of stuff. So we're riding banshees and, and blasters and just all the two-stroke world and just loving it. And uh, my kids started going away to college, and I was and I just got to the point with me and my wife, and I said, "Listen, done with the big forty-two foot fifth wheel, all the you know the the uh, process of getting ready for a trip and coming home from a trip, it was cleaning and prepping and thousands of dollars." And I was like. I'm, I'm getting rid of this thing. I'm buying a bus. And I yeah. said, we're just going to camp like a bunch of modern day hippies. And yeah. It just kind of evolved from there. And that's where the Safari Bay came from. Yeah. And so the oh, Safari oh, Bay oh, was in, oh. it was in Hot VWs. What issue of Hot VWs was in? It was in October of 2017. No, in 2019. October 2019. And it was also in VW Camper Commercial. And uh, I got the pleasure of shooting that with uh, Eric Arnold. I met nice. Eric Arnold at uh, Buses by the Bridge. Yeah, Vegas boy. Yeah, to, I met him at Buses by the Bridge. Great guy to deal with. Has a passion for what he does and the passion for our cars, passion for what he does with photography. It was a great chemistry. And you get back in the scene getting a bay window bus, right? I actually first, right before that, I, I bought exactly what you're talking about. I bought a 56 oval rag. Oh, really? Yes, yeah, so I bought a 56 oval rag, threw it on some Randars and just came in swinging. I just, I wanted to, that was my dream car and that's what I always wanted. Now, did that car get featured? Uh, no, it hasn't. Okay, you still have that car? Still have that car. Okay, so that's what kicked off the, the, the re-emergence into the scene. And now you start doing your... You, you find this bay because you want, like, hey, it's kind of a cruiser and you can have more fun. Like, you can hang out for a weekend. Because we get to these car shows and it's like, you don't want to sit in the driver's seat of your car. But if you got a bus, you can kind of lounge for a little bit, right? Yeah, and with us, it, it always became part... The, the journey was part of the adventure, not mm-hmm. just sitting in a car show. And, and, and we love the drive. And so this bus I bought, yeah. And it was up in the foothills. It was, it was rusty. So I said, Hey, I'm just going to get this typical entry. I'm going to get this thing running and drive it. Right. right. Basics. So just the basics. just the basics. And so I picked this up Memorial day weekend. Um, or it was actually labor day weekend after yeah. a bugarama, I drive up and pick up this bus and I bring it home. It just, you know, within a day it's stripped down. I'm, I'm calling up Russ at old speed, getting drop spindles and everything I want to do to get the thing right, sitting right. right. And it just snowballed into what it became. But I went into it with a vengeance, and I did that bus in like four months. Really? So start to finish? Start to finish. Now, four now what did you do specifically to that bus? I did all the fabrication work, uh, metal fabrication. I, I de- uh, defoamed the dash, welded up all the holes and everything, smoothed it up. Did all the, uh, I did every, I mean, pretty much every aspect of that bus I did. So all the fabrication, uh, so all the fabrication, then you, the one thing you did is pretty unique on that is you did the safari windows all yes. the way around. All I mean, all the side windows, everything you did safari windows. Now, 
how did you come up with that idea and then, and then what did it take to get that done? So that, that idea was just more from, I just wanted to do something so different. But the idea and concept behind it was, is we go to the beach. We love cruising to the beach. We go out to Half Moon Bay. We've, you know, we've pretty much driven up the, all the California coast with that bus and, and right. camped in Rincon Park and all kinds of different uh, places. But we love the breeze, the, the air. I wanted airflow. So I was like, man, if I put safari windows in this thing, that would be epic. We can open the windows. And I mean, we have pictures of us with our feet hanging out the windows and we're in Rincon Park next to these, you know, million dollar diesel pushers. And everyone's just like, they're just, they love the bus. They're and jealous. so, yeah, I don't think we've ever had to cook a meal when we were in Rincon Park because everybody likes that bus so much. They invite us over for dinner just nice. so they can hear the story and talk about it. So, yeah, I ended up, um, I had this idea that I wanted to do this. And uh, Jeremy Brooks, you know, he, I'd used him for Safari windshields on a couple other builds that I'd done. And I reached out to him and I says, hey, look, man, I really want to use this concept in this bay windows is something you can do. He says, yeah, I can do that. And I said, well, what's it going to take? He says, well, it's not going to be cheap. I said, well, I didn't really ask what it's going to cost because I already know what the answer is going to be. I said, I need it done and give me a time frame." And at that point, um, you know, he, he got back to me. He says, yeah, he can do it. Here's the price. And he, he busted him out and took good care of me. He's, he's a great guy to deal with. And it, and it, it yeah. made a very unique build for sure. So, yeah, I mean, you know, that's, that's the thing right now, you know, when we're building cars and, and, our background goes to the 80s and the 90s and what the style was back then but as we're coming out we're you know we're not guys that that like we appreciate the history but we're also part of the scene the living scene where we want to we want to elevate the game right with everything we bring out we want to try to do something a little different and for sure you know that bus stands out on its own it's a it's a memorable bus and, and my my attitude personally has always been when you build a car like when you're done with a car you want people to be able to refer to your car like, oh, yeah, you know the safari, the, the bay window bus with all the safaris on it? Yeah, that bus. You know what I mean? Or yeah. where it kind of stands out on its own. I mean, for me, that's that's when you know you've built a car that whether people like it or they don't, it stands on its own and it's kind of iconic, you know? And that was one of the things with Eric. He ends up, he put it out there and, you know, which is the way my concept as well is because just like we were saying, these cars that were unique and built with different paint schemes and other, those were the cars that really stood out to me because I love tattoos. I love lowrider art style paint jobs um, because I just love the detail. And so to do something that's unique to yourself and it's kind of your trademark vehicle, yeah. it's a very unique experience. And Eric Arnold, when we were talking, he says, man, he says, you don't, you only get to build something for the first time once. Right. And somebody can only come up with that concept once. And to be able to do that, I was shocked that nobody had done it with safaris and all the way sure. around on one of those. Well, and especially like, with technology that's available, right? Yeah. And so it was just one of those things. I just, it, it, and a lot of times when I start with a car, I don't have a footprint of how I want to build this car. As the car kind of evolves, especially if it's for me, I let it speak to me, kind of how it's going to flow and just whatever kind of rolls with me. I, I, I just take my time and kind of visualize some different aspects of the build and where I want to go with it, functional um, wise and um, the kind of statement I want to build with the car. Not that I, I will never build a car for somebody else or to please others. I try to build something that's unique to me, like we're right. talking about, and that represents who I am just as a person, as a builder, and just, and just you know, something that can be accepted in the scene. Well, there's a lot to be said for that because, you know, even, you know, the bull run bus I built in my garage, my buddy painted it. I bought a motor. I, I kind of, I designed and built it. And then, and that's everybody can take a shot now because I mentioned the bull run bus again. Um, but you know, the, you know, when you're doing, when you're coming up with a concept and you're building a car, whether you're, whether you're the guy writing the checks or you're the guy doing the work, if it's your concept and your design and your ideas, you know, it's, it's nice to see that come through because I think we all start with a vision like in our head of what we want but 
like you said, you do the stance or a new set of wheels comes out or something. I remember, you know, when I built my first bus, it was like, I'm going to be the first bus on BRMs because it just came out. And then I saw a bus on BRMs. I said, all right, well, I can't do that. So I got to do something different, which is why it ended up on the twist. But so much of the, so much of the build process is kind of, you start off with a vision in your head of like a couple different cars. And then as you start to put it together, different things will kind of push the direction in, in the way that it goes. Um, interior wise in that bus, what's, can you describe to some listeners that any special unique things that you've done in the interior on that? Um, the, the, the cool thing about that bus is it's a fully functional camping bus. So I did a, took a, a regular Z-bed. Mm-hmm. I stretched it to full width um, and made it so that it's a functional Z-bed. We actually have camped in that. Um, the interiors are Bordeaux Red Tweed from uh, SoFine. They're, they've always been great to deal with. They did all the door panels, the front seat upholstery. And then I had a local um, upholstery shop, um, Cool Customs out of Lodi, mm-hmm. actually do the custom bench seat work in the back because I have an L wraparound bench. With which, a Z-bed. With the Z-bed. And it's so, functional. Yes. And it overlaps. The, I made it so that it overlaps the side bench. And then the side bench is actually flip up for storage. Nice. So it worked out. It, it actually is a full functional bus for storage. And we, I mean, we've used it to camp, like I said, multiple times. And you take that thing into account ground people are they just they're it's a fun icebreaker uh you know piece to kind of get people talking to you and people love it and what do you got for drive training it's got a it's just a it's a dual port 70 1776 Mm -hmm. with dual cadrons just a set of 40s i like i like simple easy because it's a bus i want to drive it i don't want to deal with Right. Um, complex and honestly I, I have a very simple concept when it comes to engines because it simply comes down to the fact I didn't have the money to build big pimping motors when I was a kid right so I just always did simple get as you know efficient and and easy to tune and dial into and now once you showed that bus are you I mean you're pretty protective of it and scared of it wherever you go or do you just are you just not like you just drive it now that's the beauty of what I do man it's like if I I, I do paint and body too so if I drive it I I, I don't believe in cars that should be uh, garage art or right. trailer queens. I mean, I, I want to drive my stuff. Have I trailered my stuff places? Absolutely. But what it really, really comes down to it, the true VW scene for me is driving your cars and yeah. not making it, you're not taking things, you know, it's part of the memory of the car is driving it. And that's where, whether it breaks down or not, you just take it with a grain of salt and you just enjoy it. It's, it yeah. is what it is. It's no, listen, it's, I, I've always said that VW enthusiasts are specific to they're, they're, they have to be like resourceful people because your VW could leave you stranded at any given time and you've got to be able to just persevere through whatever's going on and get to where you got to go to get to kind of get things cobbled together until you can get things fixed properly. You know, so the VW world, it really thins it really thins the enthusiasts out pretty quick. So I think people that have been in the VW scene for a while, they've had to deal with all the rough stuff and all the breakdowns and all that. So I... I I like to think of the VW world as like really resourceful people. You know, like yeah. when, when the zombie apocalypse hits, it's just going to be mostly <laughs> VW people left because we'll, we'll be able to figure out how to get through, yeah. you know? And, but, and, it, and it just makes it easier too. I mean, with technology, with electric fuel pumps, electric, electric ignition systems and stuff, it, just, it has made it much easier and more reliable yeah. in that way because you're not dealing with points and condenser failures and those types of things. But I mean, the, the best thing you could carry in any VW is a fire extinguisher. I mean, that's, that's yeah. down to, I mean, you could save the car, but if it doesn't, if it has to go home on a tow truck then it is what it is and yeah. we've we've had more than one tow truck ride but we just take it with a grain of salt me and my wife just kind of roll with it it makes it a lot of fun oh no no totally that's it you know i, and I think the women that we marry that have to be committed to like listen you babe you might have to push just like push or can you steer pop the clutch like i need you to do one. you got to pick your poison because you gotta do one or the other because yep. you know I, my wife is you know i've been married 22 years i think and uh 
you know, we went last September and I bought that limo bug. So we flew okay. to Texas and I was like, hey, let's just drive it back. She's like, heck yeah, my wife's always down for road trip. Yeah. And then, you know, she's she's been, she's found herself in many situations where I've thought to myself, I wonder if she's thinking to herself, I married the wrong guy. Like, why am I in this situation on the side of the road? Because I, I think there's several classics that we've gone to in a row where it's like, I've run out of gas or I wasn't prepared or whatever happened. So kudos to the women in our lives because they have to put up with a lot of stuff to be married to knuckleheads like us that are, that are down to buy these bucket of bolts that uh, sometimes leave us stranded. So I want to talk about um, Workstat Restorations, which is a company you started a few years back. And I want to, I really want to talk about, you know, you go from working at a corporate dealership, you know, from that level to having your own shop, some of the things, what, what the, what was the inspiration to start your shop? Well, like you and like most VW enthusiasts, it started young. So I never really, I, and I, just having the mechanical aptitude that I do and working at a, a manufacturer level, um, as far as, uh, on a, on a line text type production system, I, I, I've always had a mentality of being efficient with what I do, how I do it. And, but I have to enjoy it as well. You know, if you don't, if you, if you enjoy what you do, you never work a day in your life. It's sure. one of those sayings that most people should live by. And as we all spend so much time of our, you know, so much time in our life at work that we need to, you need to disconnect. So th this stuff's always been a disconnect for me, but I never got tired of working on anything. Cause I mean, if I'm working at, if I'm working at Toyota, for example, and I'm working on a Prius and doing reflashes and, and doing all this, uh, whatever has to, you know, have to do on a daily basis, it's completely different than a right. Volkswagen thing. So what ended up happening is we came across some property and out in Herald and we, uh, it's 20 acres. We, it, it kind of, it was a great time to buy. It was back when the housing market was, was tanked. We obviously took a little bit of a bath on our house, but we were able to walk away from our house in town with money, which was unheard of because everything was short sailing and, and it was just a nightmare sure. to try to sell a house. But we walked right into this 20 acre property, brand new house getting built and it just fell in our lap. We were just like, this has to be meant to be. Sure. So we buy this thing and of course, all of us, we all want a shop. And so, um, you know, I grew up in the country as well. And so I was like, man, I'm going to build a shop. So we ended up getting into, uh, we got this property going and then I was like, well, you know, California and their interesting way of doing things. I decided, you know what, I'm going to, we need, let's find something ag to do. We can do grapes or something, you know, let's, right, let's, so farm. We, let's farm. Something. Yeah. We ended up taking a three acre portion of our property, planting 1600 olive trees that we process locally with Calvergen olive oil and they make olive oil with these olives. Really? So since I built this, built this olive farm, now I get to build an ag building. But guess what? There's a lot of German tractors in there. Right. So kind of on the, on, so just kind of just using the process of how I did things. And so I did my line, my regular job. And so once I built a shop, you know, I, I, we have our car club, straight up dubs. So we, we started that there's, you know, we're, we're a very small club, but we try to do, um, some, some impactful things for the, um, the VW community here in Northern California. So we, you know, we used to put on uh, VW shows a uh, couple times a year at Lasher Volkswagen yeah. in uh, Elk Grove. They would open up the showroom for us, everything. We could post up all vintage Volkswagens in the showroom. They were great to deal with. They would allow us to um, take over the place and you have a vintage Volkswagen show and a modern dealership. So it was a very nice. unique experience, but that grew so fast with the community up here that we could only get about 200 cars in there. And so we outgrew that pretty quickly. And so we ended up starting a camper show a, a camping show right before COVID hit mm -hmm. out at a place in Galt, McFarland Ranch, which is, you know, that's kind of the way we see the future of the VW events going. It's a camping, it's a car show, it's kid friendly, 
You can have a beer vendor, you can have ice creams, funnel cakes, and all this crazy stuff. And it's like a carnival with VWs. So we started doing that. Well, in the process of doing that and getting in with the club, I, I ordered a shop online. I was, and, and started looking into that and I, I got the shop got the foundation done and I just started looking at the plans I'm like this is numbers I can build this so I, I ended up building the whole shop myself it's a 50 really? by 60 shop all steel shop and so I insulated and everything so I I took a few months and built that built the shop and then it kind of evolved into just a it started out as just a hobby shop with, you know, the guys would come over, we'd hang out, we'd build, we'd work things, which we still kind of have that vibe. Right, which I thought I saw in the beginning, like a bunch of stuff you were posting up front and it looked like more like you were hanging but working on your personal projects and friends would come over and you'd help them out and stuff. Yeah, and which that's kind of the same vibe. I never want to close that door. Right. But you also have to be careful and filter that too because you, people will come in and, and, yeah, and take advantage no. of a lot of it. So you have to def <laughs> you definitely have to be careful how you do that. And you know what? Sometimes it's a... You, things don't go the way you plan on it and you just yeah. learn from it, man. It, you don't make a big deal about it. But so that happened. And so uh, I ended up changing from Toyota to Lexus uh -huh. as a line tech job. And so uh, I did that for years. I was a Toyota Lexus master tech. I had my smog license. I did all, I was fully certified, did hybrids, EVs, dealing with uh, Tesla powertrains and number of different things. And it, it was fun because that was a challenge in that way. And then I got to come home and do more of what you would call the simple, just hands-on grunt work. And I love working with my hands, building things. And uh, during that process is when I built the Safari Bay. Um, yeah. And then it, it kind of evolved from there. And, I, you know, we've talked about, you know, I've done, you know, some other buses and stuff. I did a, uh, you know, split windows and different things. And it's just kind of some of the stuff started getting put in magazines. And then, obviously, you take them to the local shows. People notice it. They ask who did this, who did that. And it just started growing to the point where, um, you know, it was, it was kind of like, well, I need to really start thinking about how this is going to go and eventually make a turn because I knew this was eventually where I wanted to go because working in the automotive field, it, it kind of has, the, the income has decreased to the point where it wasn't really, the dollars weren't making sense, man. Right, so I was right. just like, I gotta, I gotta get out at some point because this has turned into a negative, uh, situation. The investment that I have. And the time that I'm, I'm, I'm in the and money that I'm making, it just isn't making sense. And so the automotive fields kind of turned the corner in that way. Mm -hmm. And so you see the restoration world kind of taking taking the shape that it is, and where people are, are are wanting to build some good quality vehicles. Yeah. And with the right people and the right chemistry, and I'm all about relationships. Even when I build my cars, that I don't want to have deal with people that are unkind or mean i want to be able i have to be able to just like we are right now man we have to have a beer and a meal and hang out and if we can't i'm not the right guy for you and it, you know it's one of those things where i said i said to someone the other day i own my own business i'm a contractor in vegas and i said i said to a customer i said i just don't think we're the contractor for you she says what are you doing i said we're just not a good fit i'm just going to refund your money and we're just going to go stuff ways well you can't do that i said yeah that's why i have my own company i have my own company so like if i just feel like we're not a good fit we're just not a good fit and it's okay we don't have to be friends you know what i mean like it's you know because business is relationships and relationships are really those relationships continue to spur more business and i think you know it's a joke at my shop everybody says oh yeah it's a friend of bills because when i meet with clients stuff we end up creating a friendship you know and you know from that point forward it continues to generate more work organically instead of a forced or hard sale or things to that that degree so there's definitely some value in that when you decided to go full-fledged and like i'm gonna do this i'm, I'm leaving toyota i'm gonna do this 100 percent. what were you nervous at all to do that i mean what what were some of the fear and anxiety you had with that because that's a big move to make 
it, it, it was a big move. And the biggest thing was just getting all my business license and my bar license and getting everything lined up so that it was legitimate business. And there's a learning curve to that. I would say the biggest, the scariest part of it was making sure that docu- you know, the documents and everything I had in place were legitimate and that I could do this properly. Right. Um, and then, you know, getting insurance and all those different things. Because we're in California, we all know that's not a cheap, easy thing to yeah. do, yeah. Um, which is why I keep my, I, I mean, I, I pretty much am the only, I, I do almost everything I do by myself. Um, if there's any outside sourcing, it's a, it's pretty limited because one, I want the quality to stay up and two, I just don't want the liability and people just don't have the same passion we do for what we do. And I'm sure you see that, and especially yeah. since COVID's hit, oh, most yeah. people are making more money on unemployment and, and staying home than they do working a real job. So yeah. it's kind of been interesting. So as far as growth goes, I don't know what this is going to totally turn into at this point. I just, I know I can do what I can do. I got have some pretty exclusive cars that I've got, and and, and I've been blessed in that way. I got a, a great relationship with Jason Wren at Wren Metalworks. Yeah. I mean, that's been a a, a great uh, builder, and that was a huge part of me making the decision too. Is that we have this relationship? We kind of have a partnership. That's it's an unspoken partnership where we've done things with each other for each other. There's no money exchange. It's absolutely just a bro deal, and it's a it's what I think the whole VW scene's about. Right, um, just like two guys that 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 are honest with each other and are able to communicate pretty well and 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 know that recognize the talent that each other person has because a lot of times you know there's always the dynamic of like one person is able to communicate with clients and and bring projects along and and have that personal touch where there's a lot of guys that build cars like you can't even talk to them yeah you know what i mean like they're super curt and short and and it's and it's just it's it's a difficult dynamic because they've got a lot of talent, but they're not able to really get the business. People like ah, you know what? It's too much work to deal with this guy or whatever the case is. So there's it's interesting how there's you know different temperaments in in relationships affect business to a certain degree where it's really it's really beneficial on both parts if two people kind of complement each other in the way that they do business. Yeah, and it's a rare thing. I mean, I'm sure you, you've ran into it as well, where you, a lot of times I'm a, I'm a lone lone ranger and because I have so much passion and so much um, heart for what I do, and most people don't share that. And that becomes very evident early in a relationship once you start right. working with somebody. So to have somebody like Jason that I can freaking team up with, we both have the same passion. And sometimes we have to have some not so comfortable conversations or say something, but that's what it's about. You know what I mean? Yeah. And there's that accountability that goes with it. And we just have to, or we have a direction we want to go with the project and we want to stay on a time frame. We we work it out, man. But we've had a lot of fun. And sometimes you just have to dig deep because you're trying to make a deadline to get a car to a play, you know, a show. And we ran into that with uh, patches that we did for him. And it was, uh, we had to get to buses by the bridge and he drove that puppy there that was his test drive he literally drove it from his shop to the house and like less than five miles and we jumped right in and drove straight to to um, uh, lake havasu so it's important you know the relationships is what it's all about but that's been a life thing for me all the way around i've i just don't want to deal with mean people i mean i had a interesting relationship with my with my parents and it just was there was those were examples that i learned from and exactly like the person i didn't want to be i love being social talking to people and just being out and being real and transparency is huge with me man if you can be transparent and just we're not none of us are perfect we all have our faults but guess what it's and i my one of my biggest things and i'm sure you'll attest to this is that it's not the fact that something happens because something's going to happen. Always, it's how you deal with it that 100%. makes the difference, man. And you yeah. got it. And it, if it comes down to integrity and character, and you can stand behind what you do, guess what? You lick your wounds when you're done, but do what's right. Yeah. Pe- people, that's just a rare thing nowadays. Well, it's sometimes it's interesting because even in my business, as much as it's 
my day-to-day job is, and I kind of worry about like if my day-to-day job became automotive because I used to be in a car audio when I was younger mm-hmm. and I started doing car audio installations and then it kind of not became so fun when it became a grind just to knock out new radios for Nissan and stuff like mm-hmm. that. And in my business now, you know, things happen. Like we said, they're mm-hmm. always going to happen. And my mentality is like, hey, look on the bright side. You got a guy that's going to stand behind it and make it right. So no worries. We're going to get this handled. And then there are those people that want blood. Like they want, and I've had to say to people, I said, I just want to understand this. We had this circumstance and I said, no problem. I'll take care of it. My dime. I'll make it right. Somehow that's not enough for you. Now I thought when you hired me that you just wanted a job done right. That you didn't want a personal, like a personal uh commitment from me that it's going to cost me personally in my life because i had someone tell me just recently they they they, 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 some they must have been the house must have been on an indian burial ground or something because they just had some bad luck like everything (laughs) showed like the material was wrong and this was wrong and the guy didn't want to be there and like all kind of stuff and she said the client said to me this has been the worst experience of my life i said well it's a good thing you're not in the middle east because you're throwing people off buildings over there so uh (laughs) let's kind of reel things in remember these are first world problems and we're going to get through this like i know it's the worst experience of your life and i think you should think about what you said to me because if this is the worst thing in your life you got a pretty good life you know exactly like getting your new floor in your house has been but there's some people and I think in, in, in life, it's too short to deal with those kind of people. You know what I mean? Absolutely. And and the problem that I've seen happen is people deal with them, don't say anything to the next guy. The next guy's got to deal with that person. And and those are the people who make things suck. You know? Yep. Um, the good thing about having your own business is you have the, the, the ability to say, hey, you know, we're not a match. And uh, yep. thanks, but no thanks. But with your circumstance and selling the house, buying the property and, and kind of lower, I would assume you've lowered your personal overhead to a point plus had a little bit of income, which made it easier to kind of leapfrog over to another thing. Because of course, I think with most guys with families, we have that understated anxiety all the time. We've got to feed a family, we've got to keep things moving. And it's the constant hustle, right? We're working three, four days ahead in our head, making sure we've got, you know, eggs to bring home for people to eat. And uh, do you think that with your current circumstance and being in that that mentality of like, hey man, I can do this from a love standpoint, and not I gotta make the rent standpoint. Yeah, and that and that was the beauty of me, and that it's a simple economics. The beauty of me buying the property when I did made it super mm-hmm. affordable. Now it's ridiculous the, the properties and stuff we're dealing. With. But one of the big deciding factors and easiest transition things mm-hmm. the facts were is that. Me and my wife, we started from nothing. We have three kids. I was 17 years old. I had my first daughter. She she was at my high school graduation. We had kids young. So two of my daughters were already through college. I had my son. He was finishing high school. And so a lot of my expense was pretty much gone as far as that. You're going to tell me I got four kids. Yeah. And so they're like vampires to the bank account. (laughs) And so once we got through that, I was kind of like, man, I said, you know what? This is something that. And so I try to lead lead a very humble life. I try to be very simple simplistic in that way i don't buy things to impress other people i just try to keep it simple man i build things that we're going to enjoy it's functional it makes sense um and i try to be practical in all those ways because i just think once you start living for other people and trying to impress other people man that's that's the day it starts going backwards and and that's where you know you you just gotta i try to always keep myself in check in that way and just i definitely look at my blessings and and in life and i know that i've been very i've been gifted a lot of things and some of it it's the talents that i have and the ability to create relationships like i do and those have been pivotal in my life man because most people like you're saying that people aren't kind and people aren't really worried about the fact that you're going to fix it right it's how they blow the 
inconvenience out of proportion. It's not yeah. really that big a deal. I've really been inconvenienced for this imaginary deadline oh that God. didn't exist when we started this project, but now it exists. You know, I get that all the time. Like, uh, I say, like, well, you know, Memorial Day was the same weekend, right? Like, it was the same weekend when we started this project. But, you know, I think the mentality of working when you're not doing that kind of stuff allows you to be a little more flexible and a little more um, be pushed by your passion versus, mm -hmm. like, pushed by the rent the landlord or what you know what i mean like some of these guys because there's a lot of guys out there that are really really talented but they just are scrambled all the time because they're trying to make the rent they're in too much overhead that you know they haven't figured out how to how to keep the hamster wheel moving kind of fluid with with your shop what are some of the uh some of the, the projects that you've got to work on because of your flexibility or your creativity and your, your, your ability to be able to kind of really work with, with customers that maybe jobs you've been referred to some of the, some of the highlight projects you're able to work on. Well, I mean, a lot of the stuff that I deal with, it's, it's all word of mouth. I do no advertising. It's pretty much, you which meet is people, huge, which is huge, which that social media is huge too. I mean, that's a big part of, um, of how we're, you know, we can progress it and just in daily life. And as long as you put out a product and you just, I just don't, I don't do drama. That's a huge, the biggest thing for me. <laughs> um, but I, I mean, a lot of the stuff that's come my way, there's better people out there. There's people that have done more than me, but I'm going to put as much heart and soul as I can in that car. Sure. And, you know, in, I don't know, I, I have the, um, I, I think we were talking the other day at, at the, um, type three meetup and, uh, yeah. I have the uh, 47 split window that I'm doing right now for one of the, you know, uh, guys down in Southern California that we're hoping we're doing full stock, you know, basically pre-war military theme. Um, and that car, the client's an amazing. So it's a client. custom. It's a custom. No, it's it's. it's so it's like a full military it, 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 drab it was, green type of. Exactly, it was a U.S. Army Exchange vehicle in uh, in Germany. Really? Yeah, it was a forty-seven. And so that car is is a, it, it's a timepiece. And so I'm working directly with Jason on that. Jason Wren, and uh, we're uh, we're building that car as correct as possible. And that client is footing the bill to make sure that thing has the right lever shocks, the right distributor clamps, the right everything that comes down to the every nut and bolt in that car, which is amazing. And then so we get to do that. And then I've got a couple other split windows that I'm doing. Um, unique experiences last week. I got to go to Canapa Motorsports with um, oh yeah with the Blanchard. has got like yeah. yeah that's like the that's a big dollar restoration guy for those those in the vw world that don't know like bruce canapa is the guy that all the big money uh porsche three the nine three fives all those big high dollar five ten million dollar race cars he's the guy that restores those jerry seinfeld you know uh, yeah. you know people that you know famous people just stuff like that and it's not that i get starstruck in that no, but i but hey. i appreciate the artistry and this attention to detail and you just we rolled up to that one with the blanchards they picked up the cheapest car there was a 51 split window crusty car out of sweden so he picks up this car but i got to go meet bruce which is cool too unique because you know i was on a, um, a show cars yeah that was on yeah. um on mav tv and then i also did a podcast with mark green on that mm -hmm. too uh so he also did an interview with bruce canapa and it, so it was kind of neat to make that connection because we had that that same kind of brotherhood, for lack of a better sure, way of putting it. And sure. just kind of see how the other the other half <laughs> yeah. lives and does it things. The other half, and bro. that makes me feel like I'm just in a little Unabomber shed building cars. And it it was crazy. That place was insane, but just an amazing experience too. Yeah, you know? the the people. It's interesting because the great equalizer in our hobby is the Volkswagen, right? Like that neutralizes everybody. It doesn't matter mm -hmm. if you're a doctor, a lawyer, a contractor, or whatever. The cars and the passion for the cars is what we have here. Now, working on things like the 47 split, obviously, you're not a vintage guru. So you're busy brushing up on research on a constant basis with the 47 split. Yeah. And that's and that the, the beauty in that is that, you know, Jason Renz, he's he's 
he digs in, man, and he is a detailed nut about that type of stuff. And yeah. so I, I get to lean on him a lot of that because he he is definitely the the um, the force behind that because we're kind of doing this as a co-build. And so um, the client supports it 100%. And that's one of those things that he, he is much better at resourcing. And he's also got the relationships and built those relationships over the years with, you know, people out of Germany and different different. Uh, avenues as far as getting correct parts and and making sure that we make this as specific and exact as possible which is what the goal is and it's been a it's been fun because the process the, the this whole thing with these cars it's a process and what, yeah. it doesn't happen overnight you watch everyone's watching these build shows where they build a, a complete custom cars in seven days <laughs> well come on we all know you can't do that just chemically paint Paint doesn't work that way. You, well, you can't can do it. You're just gonna get some shrink back later. Yeah, it doesn't. It just doesn't stack like that. And so you definitely have to. It, it just doesn't work that way. And so, um, yeah, you're gonna redo it for sure. So, um, but yeah, and that's where you just lean on the people that you can. And that's where relationships are absolutely critical in this this industry and just in the scene itself. Is that whether you can lean on the people that you need to. And a lot of times. If somebody knows you're looking for something, you don't even have to contact them. If you're a nice enough guy and you built the relationship, they will contact you. Say, hey, look, I've got a lead on some stuff for you. So it's been really cool in that sure. way. The community is awesome in that way that once once you uh, you get yourself established and you really don't have it's it, it makes it easier, but not it's not easy, but it makes it much easier. Right now with uh, with what you have in the pipeline right now with the forty seven things like that. You have other cars on deck that are coming out soon, and then how, how do you keep those cars kind of from being overexposed before their debut? Because debuting a car is kind of a big deal, right? Yeah, and and you know what, I uh, a lot of times I'm I'm not afraid of putting stuff out there, but I will be limited because let's face it, people will try to creep in and get their style out and, you know, building other cars as well. I mean, I, I, I do mostly VW. I've got some Porsche stuff that I've done, some 356s and stuff and just having fun. I like being creative. I have to, you know, I dabble in a little bit of different things because it helps spark my, um, Creativity. My creativity. Mm-hmm. It just gives me more of a, a diversified perspective of things. I love going to hot rod shows and oh, just yeah. seeing different things. I mean, I've got, we've got old car, you know, American cars as well. Um, I know some people think that's sacrilegious, no. but I'm just a car not, guy. Not on this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just a car guy through and through, man. I can jump in my 49 shoebox and me and my wife are going out to grab ice cream and we just love it, man. Yeah. It's an old flathead three on the tree. I mean, I'm loving it. So when it comes down, car people are car people yeah. and it, and it's obvious when they're car people, it's, they have that same passion. It's almost like it's an extension of them or it's one of their siblings, you know, one of their offspring that they want to invest in and make it right. as nice as possible. And, and, you know, everyone's got a different style budget. Um, not everybody's down to spend 50 grand building a, you know, a perfect car. Um, but the reality of it is, is when we make it clear in our contract, it, it costs money and it takes time and it's just, you have to be straight up with people. And so, like what who's your ideal client or do you have are you able to work at at every level on any type of car or what do you prefer to do at your shop i i like variety Mm -hmm. so i mean i can do i very rare a lot of times once people bring me their car to do just a paint paint and body car and they just want the car back most of the time i end up building the car because i like pulling headliners i like running wires i i I like the diversity and the variety of types of, of things to do because to me it's it's to get to that point where you're completing a project, you take in something that's just a turd, and then by the time you're done, it's a diamond. You know, it's just and you, they they bring it into you on a trailer after they got it blasted and stripped down, and then next thing you know, they're driving it away. Uh, it makes a it's a pretty cool 
experience to see somebody with that smile on their face and they're just, they're loving it. But the ideal clients, like you said, it's um, people that are just kind. Yeah, you can communicate with them. You're not afraid to make a phone call to them. They're not, you're not afraid to get a phone call from them. Um, and it just, you just have to put it, what it comes down to communication. And I like to create a very unique experience where I'm sending people a pretty regular stream of photos and updates as far as where we're at with their car, you know, so. Now, what kind of Volkswagens have you not done yet that you wouldn't mind getting your hands on? Um, I've done, you know, I've done buses. I've done 356s, Porsches. I've done split windows, ovals. I mean, there. You did. You I've, guys do a Fred? I did. Well, K, the Fred was from KCW. I just did some um, some repairs on it, and then I also did the roof on it. I, I, did, I painted the roof black because that's what the what. It's a good buddy Mike Kevin wanted, and so we did that. And so it was actually in a, a KCW build like 18 years ago. Right. Needed a little freshen up, a little clean up, and we did that. So I'm not afraid to do that stuff either. I mean, just kind of dig in and make it what it, what the client wants. So if somebody, let, let's say somebody's out there, got, they've got their car insured, and they're up here in the Sacramento, Northern California area, and they get an accident, they got Haggerty or whatever like that, are you a place they could bring it to to get that stuff done? Absolutely. And I've dealt with Haggerty. I mean, I've dealt with AAA. I've dealt with State Farm. It's a, they make it pretty easy nowadays, too. I mean, they, they usually still send an adjuster out with me. I've relationships with them nice. and a lot of the transition was easy as well we talked about that earlier is that i have friends that are already in the, the body sure. shop and collision repair business so i can lean on them and that's more of the relationship side of things where because it's different it's different to get like i had a i had my uh, 55 uh bug that was the black one that was on the fuchs um i had that car when it was red and black and brake line popped and i crunched a fender on it and then Haggerty was super legit to work with and and but the tough part was like I had a I had to take it to a VW shop to have them fix it because I didn't want to take it to like Joe Schmo's collision because mm -hmm. they don't know the cars. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think that's pretty important. But most restoration shops, a lot of restoration shops don't work with collision. They don't work with insurance companies, mm -hmm. stuff like that. So it's always it's always been uh, interesting to try to figure out how to get your car fixed and feel good that the guy fixed your car knows what VWs and how they're supposed to be done, you know? So absolutely. And then, and, and that's part of the thing too, cause I've hired, you know, American car builder guys to do body work and try to help me, you know, get stuff done. And because, you know, they, they were in a hard, hard spot and they needed some help. But American car builders are not the same as VW car builders. You can't take a Impala, a flat Impala yeah. and throw a guy to start shaping VW fenders and no. stuff. Um, but Haggerty, Great company to deal with. One of our local VW enthusiasts, I'm building her a squareback, actually. She's a, our Haggerty rep, takes care of a, a majority of our the VW scene in our area, and she's super easy to deal with. I make a phone call. They, they, a lot of times, there's an app, too, that, that helps the body shops kind of get everything to the, the um, adjusters with whatever they need, especially with the COVID craziness. Right. Nobody wanted to come out, so they designed apps where you just get the car in this this frame and take a picture and you send it to them and they just tell you different angles. They tell you if the cameras, the, the shot's good enough and it's pretty easy process. But like you're saying it, the, the point is getting it to somebody that's going to do it, do it right where they're going to take the time and you can communicate with the adjusters and build those relationships for it's like, I'm not going to just pile filler on top of filler. If the thing's just a huge yeah. bondo. And piece. that's, and the funny part is most of those collision shops will look at it like they're like, ah, yeah. it's all 65 bug. Uh, I got a, a, a uh, you know, I, I picked up a fender from, uh, from you know, the auto parts place, and that's close enough. They don't know the minute differences of all the different years yeah. and, you know, the different curvatures of the fenders and all that. So I think it's important, and it's good to know that your shop does stuff like that because there's probably people out there that had a car that was, 
you know, that they want covered by a reputable shop that does specific VW work. And a lot of these aftermarket fenders, people don't realize they they want to just get a fender. Well, you go to bolt the thing on, it's crinkling, it's buckling because the thing's not shrunk right along the flanges. The apron points don't land right. The freaking points where the, where the, where the aprons join the freaking inner fender things, nothing's even close. You have to cut that stuff apart and make it right. And if that's the kind of detail you want to do, it, it takes a lot of time. Yeah. What, so how, how, how big is your workload right now and how, how long is it? What's it take typically to turn around a car for paint and body? Generally, I'm usually four to six months. But if I, with these splits and stuff that I'm doing, I, just, I don't really give a time frame because the detail and the, the, the uh, perfection that I want in those cars, it's pretty much an un, it's, it's not going to take five years. So we don't put it in paint jail like a lot of people refer to it as. But uh, we, I take my time on those kind of projects. But generally, a project takes four to six months. Depends on how involved they want it. Right. And I mean, I've, I've literally taken cars in and had them out within four to six months complete. They came to wow. me in a trailer, blasted in an epoxy primer, and it's been painted, done, and, and shipped. Nice. So I kind of get on them. And, and I have a super strict work ethic. I have an ink an unbelievable energy level and yeah. i just freaking i i get into things i don't hammer it to finish it it's just the way that i do it and it's right. kind of i don't i don't mess around it's i don't how you work yeah and it's efficiency and that's be, that comes from my career where yeah. i was a flat rate tech so i could get a job it could be a 10-hour job if i finish that job in 40 four hours i still get paid the 10 hours so yeah. i'm banking six extra hours on that job i roll into the next job and i'm having 20 to 25 hour days because my efficiency is at at that rate well, that's the same mindset I have. That's my mindset for life because I did that for 26 years. Right. You just, just get it done. It's ingrained in me, man. That's what I think now. Yeah. Just get it done, get in, get it done. But I don't ever test the product. I, I'm not a scientist. I'm not a chemist. I, I do exactly what the products say to do and make sure that you let stuff cure properly too as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. People no, don't understand that. Well, that's the thing. You know, a lot of the, a lot of these things. And, it, you know, it's, it's often something that, that, that I, I wondered about because – a lot of these fillers and stuff are catalyst activated, mm-hmm. right? And so depending on the amount of catalyst you add could also change the cure rates on them. Mm-hmm. But I think there's a solid, there's a fixed cure rate for fully cured, but there's also adding the right amount of catalyst hardener to something and how that reacts could also have something to do with a little bit of shrink back. So, I mean, I'm no chemist, but uh, yeah. I know a little bit about, and also, bit about everything. Also application process, because you can put stuff on too heavy and it can cause a bunch of problems down the road. You can get yeah. cracking in primers. I mean, it depends on how you're doing it and what you're doing in the process. And uh, and so, I mean, just knowing the product, I mean, they, they give you mill thicknesses, how, how much, what pressure you should spray at and, and how much you should apply it. And drying windows in between coat process. You get, you have to read the, the, the spec sheets yeah, before you apply stuff. Yeah, and make sure. Yeah, which is hard for a lot of us. Like directions. Yeah, it's not going to happen. But for this, I, I'm a very, I'm very uh, analytical about that because I want to make sure that things are done right. Because yeah. I don't want to deal with it down the road. And it's chemical. You still have issues. Mm-hmm. Just like I said, it's it's not that it's going to happen. It's how you deal with it that makes a difference. So. Yeah. No, that's awesome. So, what's next for you guys? Like, what's on what's on the horizon, and what do you have coming up out of the pipeline? People should be looking for. Well, I mean, this is this the funnest thing right now is that man, we're here. Yeah. We're all talking. You Back can see people's again. people's faces and mouths, and you can see teeth. And it's a, this is a huge thing for me. I mean, I'm just yeah, walking yeah, around just <laughs> like a with a smile on all weekend. We're a Buggerama weekend. We've we camped out for the first time. I've been coming here since I was probably nine years old. Camped out for the first time, um, and just having a good old time. But just seeing everybody for me, I mean, our biggest thing is going to be, uh, you know, we've got that 47 split that's coming yeah. out. It's a, it's a very unique piece. I feel very blessed and honored to be able to do that. 
Um, you know, and it's, I, I like to just roll who knows what's coming down the pike. I never want to, I never want to ever say what I have got, you know, coming in yeah. because you never know. So whatever opportunity knocks, man, I'm just going to, I try to take full advantage of it. Now, is there, a, you, do you have a tentative deadline for the split? Um, we're definitely on the, on the downhill slope of getting this thing done. Um, so we'll obviously bring it out at a, at a show, something that's going to be, um, like a vintage, yes. vintage show. Where be I don't know if we'll do a vintage show. We'll do some, some different. I don't know exactly what we're going to do. We haven't really discussed exactly what the deadline is on that car, but I know it will be this year. Um, it'll be done. So whether we start out next year with it, um, we haven't really decided. A lot of it comes down to availability. I mean, we've been waiting for over a year to have the engine, you know, built. And it's yeah. a, you know, it's a 25 horse. You know, a lot of those, a lot of the materials and, and carpets and different things and, and parts need to be sourced out of Europe. And sometimes it takes some time. We're on their deadline sometimes. Right. So building a project like that is always like, okay, what's going to be the next delay? Because there's always a delay, whether it's research, you're waiting. We can't button that up because we don't know how this gets finished and we want it done right. So we're waiting for... Claws to get back, Klaus to get back with us from Germany and, you know, all this yeah. kind of stuff. So Yeah, and I mean, we're to the point now where I think we're missing one of the rear lever shocks, which is a single piston, which is extremely rare. So I think we're tr still trying to find that source, that one part. Um, the glass is another thing, just trying to get the right logos um, yeah. on the glass because there's our logos out there, but they're not correct for 47. And then, you know, Jason's phenomenal at that research and getting that stuff figured out um, as far as logos. Because, I mean, some of the early splits didn't have logos on the back windows, but some did. And it was kind of a, it's, there's a, all those different dynamics um, and just the detail stuff. And that's what we're down to. We're down to the details yeah. and we're really down to trying to figure out the right color of green that, that, that would, we think would represent what that color would be and, you know, that that era and, and what they would have done in the factory back in you know especially being that it's a u.s army exchange you know split so we say u.s army exchange what is that what does that mean like does that mean it was it was shipped here to the u.s or no it was so what they did in germany back in the the, the 40s and the early 50s well the back during war times is they painted the cars different colors based on what what country was using the vehicle. Okay. So it was it was kept in Germany and it was used there, but they painted each different country's car a different color. So you knew if it was an American's car, or a British car, or whatever. The and that's was. what it come down to. And so to find that exact specific color, it's a it was. I mean, that was an industrial era. They didn't care about sheen. They didn't care if it was shiny. They didn't care if the, they just wanted paint on the sucker. And it, and it just kind of comes down to we're trying to just find our best interpretation of that. And a lot of times it comes down to it's army green and we're trying to find the right army green because if we try to find something that we like then it's probably not the right color because it needs to kind of be an ugly green so yeah. no that's rad man well anything else you want to you want to leave us with before we wrap up no nah, man i'm just a it's great to meet you out here and have yeah. you bring out the the timepiece the the rag chop car and then yeah. just kind of see that out there i mean because these are the cars that have inspired me from the time oh, i was man. a boy man and just chop tops yeah that. what's funny about this car i didn't even realize how much it had inspired me because i looked at the first picture of my bug and, and my first bug was it was red with red five spokes on it with a white rag top it was a 63 and talking to scott gilder the builder he chopped the top because he wanted like a small he wanted a 64 in earlier car so he wanted he liked the small window so that was the was the main reason why he chopped it so it was just because he didn't want it to be a real real big chop and, and i'm not even a fan of chop tops yeah. and then when i found the car for sale i just loved the work that he did to it and then after I, like once i got it they said hey man we got the opportunity to buy this car and i was like ah you know do i really like that car and the more i looked at the car the more i thought about it the more i looked at it the more i said you know i didn't realize how much this car influenced me and i really really like this car so I'm, uh, I'm pretty stoked to have back. Short of me getting back, here's the crazy part. Short of me getting back my original 63 rag that my brother and I brought back from the 
the junkyard that I always said I was going to give to my son, and then I sold it when I got mad at Volkswagens. Short <laughs> of finding that car, this is probably, um, you know, one of my favorite things to cruise around because it's a it's a it's an early rag top. It's got a nice, quick little motor in it, and uh, it reminds me of when I was back, you know. 18 years old driving these things around all day it has that vintage vibe and i mean it's that's the cool thing about it man it's just a it's a timepiece that and, and it was preserved well and yeah and that's, I, guess, that's and I, amazing. Say, oh, I got it's got real beer arms on it yeah i know right but <laughs> <laughs> so, my brother's like don't be driving a car with the beer arms i'm like no nah, I'm, I'm gonna be that guy i'm gonna be driving yeah. with beer arms on it and that's where you say you know we talk about it you can't be scared nope. just drive the dang car if something happens they, nope. there's other ones out there i could yep. buy one if i exactly one, so yeah and then, you know what it's if you don't drive it what, what's it really what's it really doing for you that's it man so get out there guys drive your volkswagens build your cars get them done if you need something done you guys know you reach out to workstat if you're up here in northern california even if you're not man you can tow your car up here take a nice little scenic drive and bring the absolutely. car out right yeah absolutely man joe i appreciate you having you on nice man. meeting and, you uh, and, and, and i'm glad we got to do it man absolutely fine finally made it happen so That's it, good times all right guys all right. take it easy later a Volkswagen is a nice station wagon to have a